So anyone who does kind of uh, know their way around this chapter um, will know it's no mystery what I'm talking about this morning. Uh, we've been quite systematic with the way that we've covered this chapter and uh, that's for a good reason. We don't want to miss stuff out that God's saying to us. Um, and so this morning we're going to be talking about lust. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to defend myself just in case you uh, <laughs> with all of these. So yeah, and if you could clear a path, I can run right out the door right at the end. Say again. If you want to come closer, then come closer. I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. Up to you. Sit where you like. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, this, this, is, um, this is good stuff for us. This is, this is all teaching for the Bible. And, and, and like Kev shared um, last time when he spoke on anger, this is just one man, one vulnerable man's kind of message from having spent time reading this passage uh, to serve you guys. Um, this, is just, this, is just, this is just me. And it's, it's a working progress. It's something that that I can't say that I, I'm going to be perfect in what I have to offer for you today, but I can say that I've prayed over this and, and just really sought God for how He can change our lives through, through this passage and through our obedience and through our desire to, to, to grow, um, to be more like Him. Um, so Father God, I pray that we would... Um, we would um, be transparent in our lives, um, that we would be humble in our assessment of ourselves, and um, we would, we would um, be, be teachable here today, that we wouldn't come out from this time the same as we went in. Um, and just as we have, have spent time feeling transformed as we, as we worship you, I just pray that the same transformation can come as we as we just dwell on this scripture and um, and really kind of feed from it really um, soak it up for ourselves um, amen amen um, so as we as we read this passage I think we can we can be sure that we're, we're having a very kind of we're having very very explicit um, uh, words said about about actions and thoughts and things about our heart, but we can also um, we can also kind of see there's there's going to be discernments towards kind of warnings that that Jesus wants us to to pay attention to. I think um, we I think we kind of we we so easily get caught up in I think the tempo of of um, of the scandal of the of the of the drama attached to to these types of things, lust and desires. It tends to be such a a, a tricky thing to kind of voice or, or kind of talk about. Um, but that's a real kind of that's a real um, kind of hostage moment where I think the enemy just wants us to kind of draw be drawn be drawn away from how. Ultimately, Jesus wants us to, to just be vulnerable with our hearts, just be open to, 
to considering what's going on in there so that he can, he can really help us. So let's read the passage. Um, it's uh, Matthew 5 and it's uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Right. So we're remembering that prayer as we, as we let that settle with us. Um, but this passage directly kind of addresses lust. It directly kind of uses that word and it directly uses it in a, in a sexual desire towards, towards women felt by a man. Um, but on top of uh, challenging something we can see is sinful, Jesus highlights the heart of the matter in all of this as well. And uh, we, we can kind of begin to understand this feeling that is in our hearts. It's obvious that the consequences of adultery are, are very real, right? We, we don't need to kind of guess at those things. It's very damaging. And um, Jesus is saying that anyone that's guilty of that sin is equally guilty um, if, they're, if they're looking with lustful intent at a woman. It's, it's a really challenging um, word isn't it it's 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 kind of making something very serious out of something that if we hadn't kind of concentrated on too hard would be potentially quite innocent and it's very subtle but what's the meaning of lust okay um, this was something I just thought was quick and and helpful for us to kind of familiar ourselves familiarize ourselves with this kind of this notion of of lust and it, the, the words used a lot throughout, the, throughout the, the Bible. So it's, it's good for us to kind of understand where else it's used and what it's used for. Um, in 10 commandments, it's used um, in one of the actual commandments against coveting uh, your neighbor's wife. Um, but in the same command, it also warns against coveting or commands against coveting <coughs> your neighbor's household and livestock. So seriously that, uh, well, I'm hoping that's not about a sexual desire. So. <laughs> or lust. We're assuming it's not. I think that's very reasonable to assume that's not. So, so we can kind of like open up our understanding of desire. Uh, it's not to exclude the explicit uh, reference in this scripture, but to also kind of expand our understanding of this scripture. So other, other references to desire. Uh, in Luke, desire to eat. Um, in Acts uh, 20, I've coveted no man's silver. Um, in Matthew 13, uh, evil things uh, warns that evil things they also craved for. 
Uh, another verse in Luke, uh, kind of, uh, you, you, there is a describe of a longing to see, and they all come from the same root uh, word in Hebrew, which is. <laughs> I'll try and say it. Epithemesi. Nope. <laughs> but it's the same root Hebrew word, and it's used in a lot of different contexts. So it's things like lust, desire, crave, longing for, coveting, they're all the same word. So this broadens our, our idea of the context for danger through this passage and what perhaps Jesus might be warning us to consider. The importance of assessing dangers is, is obvious, right? If we start to kind of consider what could happen, then we start to kind of inform ourselves about how we might want to act, how we might want to kind of guard ourselves. I think that's kind of really the whole passage. And if we start to kind of, kind of expand that a bit, I think we really, we really will be getting quite far together. So who does it directly kind of address in this passage? Well, I've already said, if you're a man and uh, you have eyes, then the chances are that you can consider this very, very literally. Um, but I think we've kind of also now started to kind of expand this verse, uh, the, the, the kind of the meaning of, of desire quite, quite widely. And so, and so we can also um, kind of see that, the, the, that these words kind of very quickly, the words connected with desire can very quickly get attached to different things. Like if you're to take the, the kind of the act of adultery, we can, we can see it's connected to lust. We can see that, but if you take the word gluttony, you can, you can easily connect that with craving, can't you? Now, if you take uh, ungratefulness or dishonor, you could um, connect that with um, perhaps longing for something that we don't have. And also maybe theft, we could connect that with, with coveting. So you can start to see that this, is, this could be a really messy looking verse for us if we're really to be sober-minded in how we, how we um, see our own kind of thought lives, how we see our own um, kind of actions. Because what Jesus is saying is that if we, if we even long for, or if we even crave, or if we even covet something, or just look with lust, then we could be committing the same kind of, of atrocity um, in our hearts. So how about lustful intent? This is kind of like a really specific term, isn't it? And um, I thought it was important to kind of just concentrate on that because I think that when we talk about things like lust and desires, we can quickly get carried away with how condemned we feel, how um, potentially how, how um, sinful we might be. Um, but I think it's important to remember that in this particular context, um, looking at someone, realizing there's something attractive about them um, is not the same as looking at someone and finding that you're choosing to indulge yourself in what you see um, and then maybe continuing to kind of indulge that and find some pleasure in that. There's very different contexts. Can you kind of uh, 
Agre do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I think there's something really, um, there's something really significant about how quickly the enemy can convict us of something that we haven't even done yet. Ultimately, if um, if we're not too um, careful about the way we we weigh this up. Mm. I summed it up as like realizing that if you, you've looked and felt desires and bringing them to God and moving on is a very safe thing to do. But deciding to look and satisfy your desires uh, that you have is, is a very different type of act. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is warning about in this passage. So certainly don't kind of search yourself and just kind of feel condemnation for the fact that you look at someone and find them attractive because that's really not what Jesus is saying here and and I I, I don't think that you can you can come away from that experience uh, or shouldn't come away from that experience feeling condemnation there is a glorious way to to realize that someone's attractive And I think this kind of touches on something, doesn't it? It, it was this question that I had in my mind um, that, I, that I had rise up as I started to, to kind of form this, um, this inquiry. Is this the thought police? You know, Jesus is so concerned about what we're thinking and what, what's going on in our minds. And it, it just, I think what I've just said really kind of uh, debunks that idea. It, can, it completely um, answers no to that question. Um, feeling desires and experience that can allow us to learn and draw closer to God, ultimately. And, and the way that our hearts form desires is really important. It, it, it shapes the way that we, we ultimately point our, 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 our lives in a trajectory that serves God. Um, and so our desires, if we, if we quell them, if quash them instead of uh, quell them and, and allow them to grow, then, then ultimately we're, we're, kind of, we're stamping on, on, our, on our own progress. The desire, the, first the kingdom of God, right? It's, it's a, desires are a really healthy thing. And we can have all these desires to the glory of God. Um, ultimately, we have complete freedom to feel and think whatever we want, even if it's not in, in completely glorifying. It's, it, we all have freedom to do that. Um, and it's only until we're actually in a position to surrender any desire, whether it's a helpful one or an unhelpful one, to God. Ultimately, God will give us uh, free, complete freedom to do that. So I think, no, like Jesus is not the thought police. Um, if anything, he's the, he's the thought ambulance and um, he, he really wants to, to use our thoughts to, to give us safety and, and, and healing. But we must accept how our lust and our selfish desires um, lead to death before we realise our need for this ambulance, right? But it's, 
it's kind of it's easy to consume to this point, but it is really challenging. I'm not going to kind of shy away from that. Um, I probably won't kind of hit the challenge as, as hard as and as succinctly and as potently as, as Jesus will if, uh, or did at the time. I hope I could, but let's just see. It's, it's just something that is so hard to really kind of embrace this idea of, that you're cutting your hand off, throwing it away, <laughs> and, and you, you, in that way you're kind of you're you're gonna you're gonna be bettered. It just doesn't sound like a challenge that I could kind of easily sell to anyone. <laughs> um, but Jesus says there's no other option. There's no other option. If if part of your of your body, part of your your mind, is leading you to death, there is no other way. Like how do we how do we reconcile that? How do we how do we actually really kind of receive that? I think if we think back to like the moment we received Jesus into our hearts, if you know, you consider the, the idea, if you haven't already, that, that Jesus, before you, you knew him, your trajectory was like just straight into death. Before, before, before you know Jesus, you're, you're, not, you're not on a trajectory which is going to be glorious. Um, and ultimately, this, this member, if, it's, if, it's, if your hand is leading you into sin or if your eyes are, then they're not, they're not going to be reconciled to this, this eternal kind of greatness that Jesus is, is, uh, is giving us. And we must accept that this is dead weight to us. It's, it's, it's not bringing us and it's not leading us into, into, into glory. So we have to accept that position of redundancy it's just dead weight um, and and reject it this is this is this is touching on i think very kind of practical means and we can get into that later but really the message is that if part of your body thoughts or behavior are pulling you back then we're going to you're going to be hindered from enjoying freedom really and um, you're going to be lied to about the authority that you have in christ and Really, the, cu the cutting off is a really heroic act and the throwing away is a heroic act that you can, you can actually enjoy, much like uh, the, way, the, the thing that we enjoyed this morning that Jana was saying. It's a real privilege to actually enjoy worshipping God. It's a choice to do that. And uh, we made that this morning. And it's the same kind of choice that you can make to, to actually right now enjoy and and, and, and revel in the same glories that you're going to enjoy and revel in for the rest of eternity. It's, it's one of those privileges that we have. And ultimately it's the Holy Spirit, right, that gives us the power to overcome these things. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one for me to remember, I think, because some of the other fruits of the Spirit seem to be so much more kind of accessible don't they it's much nicer to be a kind christian isn't it or a peaceful christian uh than a self-controlled christian <laughs> you know if we talk about the fruits of the spirit um, i'm sure some of you take kind of can can uh, you find this this fruit is very very prevalent in your life 
um, and, and I'm, I'm probably just very weak in this. Um, uh, but I don't know. I don't, who, who finds that self-control is one of the easiest fruits to identify in their lives? Hands up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, what is it about self-control? I don't know. It, I, I, I've read about it a little bit, but I think there's just something which seems so, um, so focused on, on actions, acts, rules, things that we do. Um, it seems to somehow contradict our contemporary uh, perspective of, of what we do here at church. You know, if, if we think about the freedom in Christ, does, does it match up with self-control? Well, yes, but how? I, I find it very, very challenging. I find it much easier to consider peace, kindness and joy. They're much easier fruits to kind of relate to. But here we have self-control and we're linking it to a verse which is ultimately sending us, if we ignore, potentially we could be careering with a, with a hand, like pulling us away from enjoying freedom, you know, enjoying kind of finding other fruits in our lives. And, and it's really serious, super serious. I read this this summer, the Screwtape Letters. Has anyone read this one? Come on. It's gr so great, it's so great. Um, much of C.S. Lewis's uh, language and writing is so powerful at being able to simply and um, normally describe languages of, of things that are holy, but also things that are um, really not holy and, and things that are really unhelpful. Um, the way that C.S. Lewis is able to articulate the voice of the enemy in this book is so equipping for our walk with God. We, I, was, I was just uh, bowled over at how I was able to recognise things that I just w have, have lived with for so long. Um, ways of reasoning with myself, you know, thoughts that go around in my head that, that just lead me away from God. It's work of the enemy and, and this book really acquaints you uh, with that and, and equips you with how to overcome those things. The way that he does it, and the only reason I'm explaining this is because I'm gonna read from this this morning a little bit. Um, uh, the way that he does it in this book is, um, is by writing, um, it's, 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 for, it's a first person kind of letter um, written from a demon to uh, an apprentice demon uh, who's, who's got uh, an individual that he's trying to win back from the Lord um, through, through uh, his, his, uh, his attempt, his attempt at, um, I don't know, using everyday moments, everyday kind of happenings to distract this guy uh, from, from all, kinds of, all kinds of things. And um, with, with the notion of, of uh, self-control in mind, Screwtape, the name of the demon, that is addressing um, a letter to uh, an apprentice demon, says to, um, says to this, 
this, uh, this, this demon that you need to remember, I'm paraphrasing here, you need to remember the power of, uh, of this word, Puritanism. Because the value we have given that, to that word is, is one of the really solid triumphs of the last hundred years, is what he says. By it, we rescue annually thousands of humans from temperance, chastity, and sobriety of life. So we're so kind of um, poetic in a way that, that by using something that God had put in place in our lives, by, by using this thing which, which actually equips us from being pulled away from making healthy desires, um, the enemy has used this thing, this, this fruit of the spirit, the enemy has used this to, to actually kind of make it seem as though it's, it's kind of stuffy behavior. It's the, these ideas of, of temperance, chastity, and sobriety of life, these are words that describe uh, kind of things that should be glorious, things that should be um, actions that are, are, are noble and heroic, but actually, a contemporary angle would be that they're religious and an unhelpful behaviour to, to actually uh, explore freedom. And um, it's just wrong. I think the way that we can, can kind of... Um, the way that we can, we can, uh, can grow in self-control is, of course, by... by allowing the, the Holy Spirit to, to move us, to, to grow us, asking him to, to give us these things um, and, and looking for that in discipleship. I think for some it's gonna, it would be a, like a permanent fixture. It's going to have to be a change of life for, for some. That's a heroic thing. It's something that we should be doing without guilt and shame. and It should be something we're doing in discipleship. Um, the Bible describes honouring and supporting people that have made those courageous practical decisions, the ways that they, they, they want to steward their lives to be able to actually um, avoid making pitfalls and avoid making poor choices, avoid allowing themselves into opportunities where they could be weakened to, to actually act in sin. Because you know, that is exactly the, the notion of... of this desire with intent is the kind of positioning yourself in a way that could make you vulnerable and ultimately leading yourself to a, a point where you would uh, make a poor choice. I think psychologically, you could look at it as a bit of a, a cognitive process. You could look at it as like changing habits. Um, but spiritually, I think you could, you could really consider it as being galvanized and strengthened. Um, into further intimacy with God. His spirit is, is changing uh, our behaviour. And um, we see that, 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 that ultimately, as you progress through this book, you realise that the powers and the, the tricks that, that, that are being presented here become uh, worthless. They become, they, they, the, the man becomes impermeable to, to the old tricks 
and um, you can see he moves on. I believe that for, for anyone uh, that is, is suffering from, from these things. It's certainly uh, true for my life um, that it can just be a complete transformation from something that seemed impossible. Um, and then ultimately God can give us fresh desires. He can kind of move us on from, from old desires that felt unhelpful. He can give us a fresh perspective on our desires. I wanted to read from another chapter um, and I'm going to just rattle through this. And I think if, um, if we can do that with the mind, mind, mindset of wanting to respond to this, um, as I, as I kind, of, uh, pr- kind of rattle through this tra- chapter, um, I know the language isn't, isn't easy, it's he's, he's, he's quite an old book, but um, it, this, this chapter really helped me understand how, how the context for um, the enemy to, how our contexts are like really kind of fertile, um, what did I actually say before I try and re-say it? I think the context we can find ourselves in kind of represent a field day for the enemy, right? They can, they can actually be something that the enemy just grabs onto. Um, but the, the, that, that lie and that trick is, is, is a distraction from the fact that it really is fertile soil for the gospel. So the, the actual kind of context that we are in, however difficult and challenging that might be, um, that is actually fantastically fertile soil for us to receive God. And it seems hopeless, but actually that's, that's the truth. So I'm gonna read. And it, if, um, if you don't understand a word, I'm really sorry. Um, but um, here we go. So <clears throat> some water somewhere. Um, so, my dear Wormwood, I hope my last letter has convinced you that the trough and dullness or dryness through which your patient is going at present will not of itself give you his soul, but needs to be properly, properly exploited. What forms the exploit, exploitation should take, I will now consider. In the first place, I've always found that the trough periods of the human undulation provide excellent opportunity for all sensual temptations, particularly those of sex. This may surprise you because of course, there is more physical energy and therefore more potential appetite at the peak periods. But you must remember that the powers of resistance are then also at the highest. The health and spirits which you want to use in producing lust can also, alas, be very easily used for the work or play or thought of innocuous merriment. The attack has has a much better chance of success when the whole man's inner world is drab and cold and empty. And it also to be noted, and it is also to be noted 
that the trough sexuality is subtly different in quality from that of the peak, much less likely to lead to the milk and water phenomenon which the humans call being in love. Much more easily drawn into perversions, much less contaminated by those generous and imaginative and even spiritual uh, concomitants, um, which often render human sexuality so disappointing. It is the same with other desires of the flesh. You are much more likely to make your man a sound drunkard by pressing on him as an iodine when he is dull and weary than by encouraging him to use it as a means of merriment among his friends when he is happy and expansive. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. That would be God. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention and not ours. We made the ple sorry, he, God, made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, God, has produced at times, or in ways or in degrees for which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker and least pleasurable. So cagey, isn't it? An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. It is more certain and it's better style to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. That is what really gladdens our fathers, not God, heart. And the troughs are the time for beginning the process. Let's respond. God, we, um, we, are so, we are so aware that our troughs and loneliness are our weak points and, and we know that we're, we're, we're in a vulnerable position. We're in a vulnerable position. So often we're, we feel disarmed and we feel powerless. But Father God, you're, you're the one that that says that that is the place you want us to receive you, receive your spirit, receive your kingdom. Lord, equip us so that the voice of the enemy is not something that we would listen to. We want to give you glory, Father God, through showing self-control in our own lives as an overflow of our spirit-filled lives. We so desire it. Lord, we want, we want to spread that out into, into all areas of our lives. And particularly if you know that there are desires that you're, 
carrying that you have felt that you're not in control of, that you have felt that you're you're not being guided by God in these desires. The message today is, is one of hope. The message today is one of power and one of action against, against that redundancy. And Father God, I, I pray that you would equip those people that feel that right now in this room. Or would you turn those desires and the perspectives of those desires into something glorious? Use those desires to grow and establish fresh things, fresh perspectives of you. And I speak hope that every single one of us here can know the truth that Jesus can move you on from any situation, no matter how desperate. We, we want to search our hearts. And we want, we want to be led into intimacy with you. That's our, that's our heart's cry and Father God, I just, just long for that moment. Perhaps we've got, we've got, I think a couple of minutes of time. Maybe Alison, you could um, lead us in that song. I really feel like this is one thing, one practical thing that we can do to actually kind of awaken that fruit in our lives of self-control as we stand and as we sing these words we are standing in the strength of the spirit aren't we as we stand with our arms high and our hearts open to God we are we are standing in the same power of the spirit that is written about in the Bible and it overcomes all things all desires that you feel just lost with or ever will do and that's why this is so important if we if we are to be a potent people of God this is something that we know that we ha are at risk of at any time For anyone that wants prayer, for the idea, for the for the whole this this, I know how debilitating it was when I realised and saw this. How 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 much of a field day it is when you feel dry and tired. How vulnerable a position that is. 
how much of a field day it is for the enemy to, to use that against you. If you do relate to that, then I would, I would love to pray for you. If that feels too socially awkward, then make sure someone does. This is, this is something that, that, that God will use to the glory. It's something that will, it's just such fertile so soil for the, for, the, for the gospel, such fertile soil for, for growing in leadership, such fertile soil for, for receiving his love, when we've just kind of overworked and we've we've got nothing left we're just feeling dry and distant god can really turn these things around for us <laughs>